Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, witches and wizards, to a very special episode of the Rotten Butterbeer podcast. You thought we were done. We thought we were done. Uh, But we are back again. We, of course, had to put together some kind of special fun episode for the best day of my life, the return to Hogwarts special. I'm joined today by who the hell else? My best friend, my second favorite Gryffindor, Logan, how are you? Are you feeling magical tonight? I'm on it, I'm on! <laughs> Been working on that one. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. Um, I'm feeling great. I'm excited to discuss this. Um, I'm just going to say right off the top, like, this was not what I was expecting whatsoever. Yeah, they, you the, told me that. And I'm I think the trailers what you were, were expecting. I think the trailers were like just objectively bad. They made this feel like <laughs> extra bonus interview content that like ends up on the back end of disc three of the DVD set. And no one except like super mega hardcore fans like dive that deep into their DVD set. And I was just like, this doesn't like I'll check it out, but it, it doesn't really seem like something that warrants a discussion or whatever and then upon what you know watching the first 15 minutes i was like okay i need to pause this, this i know diana's gonna watch <laughs> i know diana's gonna want to watch it with me it's like the way that they bring you through the whole series was incredible so yes. i'm very glad you know you forced me into watching this because i was like might might be worth skipping but i'm holy shit i'm glad we watched it I knew that there was no way that they were going to come back after 20 years from the first film being released and put together something that was bullshit. I just knew that was impossible. And 
that with all of the, I mean, they probably had to pay Daniel Radcliffe millions of dollars to come back and revisit Harry Potter because every day since he wrapped on the last film has been spent trying to make people forget he was Harry <laughs> sure. Potter. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, yeah. sure he was like fully frontal naked on Broadway. That's true. I mean, he did everything that he could. And, and I get it. I mean, they even say at the end that they did like the most, most extreme form of method acting that you could ever do by playing the same role for 10 years as they were growing up. Um, but yeah, I kind of knew, I mean, not to say that I knew it was going to be as special as it was, but I knew that there was no way it was going to be bullshit. That just seemed impossible to me. And I'm glad I was right because it <laughs> me <was> too. <laughs> incredible i didn't think that they were going to go through each individual movie the way that they did and the only reason i thought that was because it's technically only 20 years from the first film not the right. last film. like See, the last film came out i think in 2010 or 2011 so that that 20 year return to hogwarts that's from the first film so i really thought it was just going to be more of like a a storytelling type thing. Maybe they all were going to tell their casting stories. Mm -hmm. They were going to tell behind the scenes stuff of the first film. They were going to talk about building the sets and making sure that it looked like the way we all imagined it was going to look. I did not think it was going to be a full like retelling of these experiences throughout 10 years of making these movies. Right. Totally. And see the thing about um, two points here, completely <laughs> Unrelated and separate. The thing <laughs> first, the thing about behind the scenes content and like commentaries, uh -huh. um, there's sort of two different types. There's one where usually the the filmmakers and or actors or whoever's involved, you know, will kind of talk so much about the production and you know how difficult it was to get this set made and blah blah blah, and you know talking about so much about the filmmaking process and that encompasses a lot because that encompasses you know the storytelling and the characters and the actors and the sets and the music and all that. And that's very interesting to an extent. But what I often find is that behind the scenes content and commentaries lean way too much into that aspect of it and mm -hmm. like 0% into like, Oh, this is why I made this creative decision about the story. And it's like, mm. that is always what's so deeply missing in commentaries to me. And I feel like this struck a perfect balance between both because they didn't explicitly go into like, oh, this is what we had to change uh, from the book, except for, was it uh, Alfonso Cuaron talking about Prisoner or, or was it, I guess, it, no, it was when they were talking about the, the Triwizard Tournament, uh, they're talking about how dense mm. that book was and how much they had to change and translate that into a movie. And that's the stuff that I find really, really riveting and fascinating. Part two uh, completely unrelated. The reason I think that they're doing this now and not 20 years removed from the final uh, movie is that they're kind of seems like they're wanting to go down this like Star Wars path of we're never too far removed from Harry Potter, Wizarding World content. Like mm. the rumors have already been swirling for a couple years now that they want to reboot the series. You know, they mention in in this doc that, you know, Harry Potter stuff is always kind of coming out. There's Cursed Child. There's the uh, Fantastic Beast movies. Uh, it just feels like HBO and Warner Brothers really wants Harry Potter to stay in the 
culturally relevant sphere and that space and always have something front and center to be pointing to as like, yeah, this is our latest work. It's only, you know, such and such. It's only so, so old. We're always producing something new. And this is a really big deal to get all of these uh, original actors back on, uh, on screen discussing these characters. Like you mentioned, like Daniel Radcliffe, since the moment he left, has done nothing but tried to escape this character, and yeah. and and definitely Emma Roberts to an extent too. But um, excuse me, Emma Watson. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so those are my those are my big initial takeaways from you know how I feel Return to Hogwarts was both created and why it came out kind of in this moment. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. When we first did the original you know series of of rotten butterbeer podcast we when we finished deathly hallows part two we did a whole other episode about the power of potter and that was just about all of the other things that have stemmed from this original source material and like you said it's like you're never too far from the most recent harry potter release whether it's a new ride in the theme park, which mm-hmm. just came out a couple of years ago, whether it's a new Fantastic Beasts movie, whether it's this, whether it's um, are they making more of those? Is there a third one sta- in development? Yeah, there's another one coming out soon, um, like later this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, it it kind of does feel like this is never going to end. There's like enough material here and enough interest that you know, that Marauders series that everyone wants on, on HBO could actually be a thing. Um, people really want, do, do you know about this? Is this a total sidebar for you? People I think really you've want, mentioned it along um, the way uh, of, of us doing the, the Butterbeer series before. Yeah. People really want like an origin series of, um, of um, James Potter, mm-hmm. Remus Lupin, Sirius Black and Peter Pettigrew, who are the Marauders, which they don't mention in the, fucking movies but those four made the marauders map they are uh mooney padfoot prongs and uh warm tail warm tail um anyways yeah it kind of always just seems like the next harry potter thing is around the corner and it on on january 1st it was so let's talk about this reunion special storytelling event i kind of don't even know what to call it it is sort of hard to classify actually that's a good point because it is a reunion but it's not a traditional reunion in like let's just sit around and talk like the the filmmaking aspect of this documentary is pretty incredible like to see Mm -hmm. for for someone to have gone through multiple someones i assume and with a fine-tooth comb of what i assume is dozens if not hundreds of hours of behind the scenes footage to find that like one perfect correlating moment that Emma and Rupert were referencing in this one you know sit down interview it's like wow like somebody really put in a lot of work here totally and even just the even just the the previews the the teasers the trailers they were so beautifully done and you know, the the shot of Robbie Coltrane um, getting a letter on the train and Emma walking through a train station and Arthur Weasley. I mean, yes, exactly. It really isn't just a reunion in the sense of like, I have I still haven't watched the Friends reunion, but to me that seemed like sort of like campfire stories of sitting around and mm, answering okay. 
old questions and is that the um, format for that? I, I'm not familiar. Either. I think so. This to me was much more of a um, a produced, a planned out, you know, scene by scene. They they knew who they wanted to pair for conversations. They knew the topics right, they wanted to right. cover. I mean, somebody in that planning meeting said, "We are going to get Tom Felton and Emma Watson <laughs> to admit that they love each other," and that's exactly yeah, that was, what they did. That was quite the highlight. So they're actually like the first people we see. This like dancing scene in the great hall it was like a little weird a little i think they were trying to go back to like the vibe of the yule ball with everyone I, t- dancing. I totally caught that yep but it also gave this like weird like eyes wide shut kind of vibe where i was like what the fuck is about to go down like this feels a little spooky sexy helper i don't know what's going on <laughs> but i know i like it um but it was i mean it's beautiful um it felt very big it felt very it like it meant the it 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 met the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was a the grand opening. You got to start with something big here to get the people excited. So I was down with it. And, and then I love that they you know they kind of introduce everybody. They bring everyone into the same room, and then the last shot is of the intro is Daniel walking through the Diagon Alley set, and you kind of get the vibe. You know, the joke is he he hasn't paid attention to Harry Potter in fifteen or ten years, whatever it is. But you kind of do get the vibe that this is like the first time that he, A, has really gone back and seen any of these sets. I mean, I think this was all filmed at the the tour in London that you can go to and see all these sets. That's um, what I was going to ask is, is yeah. where do these sets live? What, usually, yeah, there's like a, a Warner Brothers tour, in, a okay. studio tour in London that you can go to. Um where this there's like a Gringotts set that you see them in. There's a Diagon Alley set. There's a Great Hall. There is a um, maybe a Yule Ball setup. They do rotate them seasonally too. Um, but yeah, they also could have filmed it at like Universal Orlando because those sets are so incredible. Too, sure, but. sure. That's kind of what I initially thought. But I was like, <laughs> no, there's way too many like intricate detailed ones here. Yeah, they needed to do it to where they could like shut everything down and only have their people in it. But because um, for a normal movie, these would all be destroyed. But of course, it being what it is and from such mm-hmm. a major studio and having plans to do, you know, uh, the synergistic multimedia, whatever, <laughs> yeah. that they're like, no, we're going to go ahead and keep these and put them somewhere. I just really liked that this whole intro led up to Daniel walking through and sort of like. I don't know. He just looked like a little boy again, even though he's like grown (laughs) and in his thirties and he can, it almost seemed like to me, like I'm already starting to tear up. It seemed to me like he, um, like enough time had gone by for him that he could really go back and visit it fondly and not, you know, when he first got out of finishing these films, he wanted to get away from it. He actually, developed a drinking problem throughout filming um it was a it it can't be easy to be daniel radcliffe i mean i'm sure you have a lot of money and that makes things a little bit easier but you're harry potter for the rest of your life and um it it seemed to me like he was on the other side of that hump of like this was truly a, a a bond and magical time in my life that's the vibe that i feel like was set by that intro true i i will say one negative thing, just to kind of get it out of the way so we can continue on with the fun, is that okay. the the clips of, you know, them asking, like, you know, whatever it was, 9, 10, 11-year-old, that, that's how old the trio was when they started, right? 
So, so the, uh, like between ask, like nine and 12. Yeah. Right. So, so like the clips of them being like, Oh, your, your life is going to change. Maybe it's not even a negative thing. It just really felt like this weird vibe from the adults being like, we kind of know that your life is going to be insane after this. Like, let's just kind of taunt these little children and <laughs> so that we have this footage of them to show them later on. Maybe it wasn't even a negative, but just felt like really weird. Like the adults all knew what was happening. The kids clearly don't know. Yet, yeah, at least. Well, I will say, uh, you know, I don't know if you were a Harry Potter fan at this time. They didn't, the the books didn't hit um, the States for some time after. But I remember the frenzy around this casting. And oh, I remember it, it loud and clear, too. Yeah, the, I read the first four as they came out. And uh, I remember being told that her name was pronounced Hermione. And I was like, "That bro, that's not a name. Like you better learn how to pronounce shit before these movies come out. They literally, uh, JK Rowling literally put a scene in Goblet of Fire where Hermione explains to Victor Crumb how to pronounce her name because <laughs> of all that confusion. Cause everyone was saying Hermione. Yep, um, yep. but like Logan, there is nothing in my mind, in my lifetime, there is nothing that can compare to the hype of casting the role of Harry Potter. I cannot think of any film, especially because they already knew there were going to be multiple of them. Like, I know you're saying it in jest and like, yeah, it's true. They were sort of like joking and picking on them a little bit, but it almost feels like they were trying to prepare them in a, in like a, sure, a joking yeah. way of like, yeah. your life will never be the same. And it's better for you to understand that going in than to be shocked by it in four films. <laughs> right. No, that's a good point. I mean, I don't think they signed all seven, eight movie contracts when they were 10, but I'm pretty sure they signed on to do like four, the, the first four, because then they before, must have. Yeah. Before five came back, that's when Emma was considering leaving. So yeah, to to that end, I hear what you're saying, but literally in my 34 years, I cannot think of another movie or TV role that the entire world was invested in. The only thing I think even the closest thing would be Twilight. I think I think when they were casting the uh, Star Wars prequels and people wanted to know, you know, who was going to be the kid Vader, who was going to be young Anakin and teenage Anakin. I think that was a pretty big deal, big deal, too. But this was also like established literary characters like we know these people and, you know, people knew Anakin and Darth Vader pretty well. But this was like, no, this was. Yeah, it was. These were the most famous 10 year olds in the world. Yes, by a hundred percent. So um, we've got this article pulled up um, from TV Insider um, that it, it describes 17 standout moments from the Return to Hogwarts reunion special. So thank you to Megan Darwish, because we are going to use your article, sis, to move through. So number one on this list, they call it fun and games. Um, in the early days of Potter, the stars remembered their favorite pastime between takes, including the game of hand slaps. So they show a lot of like behind the scene footage. They talk about casting, like you said, that 
you know, they they told them uh, Daniel Radcliffe's parents almost weren't going to let allow him to do this. Because that was they wild. Knew what you just said. Yeah. Which was that your life will never be the same um, after this. And I think it was really great to hear them all talk about Chris Columbus, the director of one and two um, for treating it like a kid's movie. You know, it was the movie that the entire world was going to watch, but it was really for kids and it was made by kids. So I like that he, Chris Columbus just seemed like the perfect person to be on um, Sorcerer's Stone and um, Chamber of Secrets because he just seemed to, he seemed to get it with what was needed to communicate with these kids. Right. You know, we mentioned it a million times when we did our uh, reviews here, but Christopher Columbus did Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire, Bicentennial Man, like he understands communicating to children, like via kid stars. And and that's clearly what he uh, does best and why they brought him in. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and jump to like what was my favorite aspect of this whole docuseries or docu yeah. documentary. Um, and you're probably going to hate it because that just oh, seems inevitable, <laughs> but it's Great. like, yes, the, the stuff with, with the cast and it's like oh, so many magical moments and I loved it, but knowing me, my favorite moment, uh, it's not even a moment. It's, it's just this underlying theme throughout the whole thing of like them discussing more in depth than I've ever seen before. Like the choices of directors, because it is so important to the tone of each movie and like getting, I like that they spend a little time here being like, yeah, this is why Christopher Columbus was perfect for this one. This is why we brought in Alfonso Caron for like the darker turn. This is why we kept with Yates for the final series because he finally, he really understood it. And like, and I loved hearing so much from the directors and getting to see Christopher Columbus sit down with uh, Daniel Radcliffe was really cool. And he like points out a, a very specific moment when he's like, I forget what it was when Radcliffe is like looking back from the train and it's like the last shot of the first movie or something like that. Mm-hmm, he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, like this is when I knew that this kid really like gets it. He really understands acting quote unquote, capital a acting like, and mm-hmm. I really, and I love that. Like you don't get to see this directorial behind the scenes process very often. So to see like his inner workings of his mind of why he chose Daniel Radcliffe and, or, you know, not that it was just his decision, but he was a major part of it. Um, That's what I love so much about this. I mean, Christopher Columbus and his ability to work with kids and still create a movie for adults. It's a game changer because kids don't really, kids that age don't have a concept for money. So, if these kids go on there and and do the first film and they don't have a good time or it's not an enjoyable experience or, you know, kid, they, they change their mind at the drop of a hat. If they decide that this isn't it for them and it's based on the interaction of a director that was ill-equipped to make a film with children, the entire thing is changed because you get a, you potentially get a different And I, you know, this could have happened throughout any of the films, but really the jump from like one to two and then two to three, I think, which, you know, Christopher Columbus directed both of the first films. So 
you know, imagine you get to the second one and they've had to recast Ron because Rupert Grint didn't have the experience he was hoping to have on the first one. Then it gets real goofy real fast. Truly um, the lack of recasting in this series yes. is, is like incredible. Also, I that's just want to say, saying. I think that that's what I'm saying, Logan, the tone for that is set by the experiences you have early on the first two years out of 10, because yeah. by the time you get to the fifth or sixth film, you're like, Oh fuck, I can see the finish line. I'm 20 some years old. So I know I'm making money on this. Like, right. Then you finally you have that see concept the end in a different in. way than when you're a child and you're like, I want to do this cause it's fun and literally no other reason. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to say, um, you know, no one's going to go out and, and weep for him because he then went on to produce, you know, prisoner of Azkaban and uh, right. still be involved in, in the subsequent movies. But our boy Chris Columbus decided to sink his teeth into the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, which is like, yeah, Logan Lerman is no Daniel Radcliffe, bro. I don't think that worked out the way you thought it was going <laughs> to. Oh, no. So, I haven't so, seen any of those. Are they really point, bad? My case in point right there. Yeah, they're not good. Ah, okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, it just, it really set the tone, and I think, just just speaking across the whole uh, event, that talking about who the directors were, why they were a good fit um, for the movie that they had directed. I mean, you know, I, Prisoner of Azkaban is what it is because they brought on Alfonso Cuaron. Um yeah, it's just, it's interesting to get to see, to your point, that side of things of like, this is what we were thinking going into this. We wanted this to be a true UK humor, like cheeky film at, at its at its moments when it could be that. Um, so we brought in, you know, this part. It's just, it's so fascinating. Um, but yeah, I love hearing that looking back from when they were 10, the things they remember are um, what happened between the scenes, not actually. Of course. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And, um, and since you just mentioned him, I, I just have to say this real quick. The career trajectory of going from Itu Mama Tambien to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban <laughs> and then Children of Men and Gravity is like, holy shit, bro. What is going on in that mind of yours? <laughs> like, you got a lot of diverse thoughts. That's why I yeah, like Laron. He is great, man. No two, no two things are the same. Exactly. So this next one on the list is kind of a silly one. But it says, it talks about the, um, <laughs> that one of Daniel Radcliffe's Favorite moments on set was when all of the floating candles in the great hall started burning through the ropes that tied them to the ceiling and just started falling all over everyone. This was so Um, good. And this was such a great moment because it truly, the the series spanning the decade from 01 to to 2010 or 2011, whenever the last one came out, um, truly was like a revelatory and huge, um, hugely changing period during the the film industry. And and it's like no point is more perfectly illustrated than this moment right here, because they're talking about like, Oh, this would have all been done in CG. Had we started these films, you know, five, six, seven years later. So the fact that they actually built the great hall 
and and did this insanely ambitious and dangerous and crazy thing to put all these candles in there it was like I'm glad that these kids got to experience like true practical like crazy shit back in the day when they first started this. Yeah, it really I mean, it just tells the story like you said of what happened over the decade. Because in the first film, they they tied candles to the ceiling above a bunch of children's heads and then (laughs) lit them on fire because how else would you do it? You know? So they got to see, and, and for a bunch of kids who are 10, 11, 12 years old to be able to walk into the great hall set and be able to see the floating candles. That's, I think what they were all saying is like the opportunity to act in that moment was made more special, more magical because, you know, just think about like anything you've ever seen of behind the scenes of Avengers Endgame, right? Where everything (laughs) is in front of a green screen. And it's like how I'm always just so impressed that people can act in those moments because we are products of our environment. And in the case of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, that is th- that is the case because they did get to see and i've read over the years that um christopher columbus did not allow any of the kids in that little group of first years to see the great hall before they walked in on film um to get that experience of seeing it and just being in awe for the first time man so, i love it i love it yeah just little choices like that i mean those are those kids seeing that for the first time so um, but yeah, it does really tell the story of what took place um, in film over those over that decade. Right. All right. Absolutely. Next up is obviously my favorite. Let's talk about the Malfoy family because mm. hey, um, your boy so Jason about, Isaacs on on a new show with your girl, right? I know it's the craziest thing. Um, <laughs> a little a little crossover action here. Quick plug for Good Sam on CBS starring Sophia Bush and Jason Isaacs. Um, it's, it's, I'm not just saying this because I love Sophia. It's so far, the pilot episode was very um, compelling television. It's, it's it good. seems like the I, kind of TV show Soph wants to make. I've seen the, the trailer a lot because we've been crushing uh, Are You the One seasons on Paramount Plus. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so let's talk about let's talk about Tom Felton. Um before we talk about Lucius Malfoy and Draco Malfoy, I want to talk about Tom as Draco. Your, so your friend Tom. My friend Tom, who uh wished me a happy birthday, thanks to you, sir. Um I loved the story of him explaining what a boom mic was. <laughs> that was okay. wow. Yeah. So it is the most Slytherin thing to see something that you have never seen before and act like you're a fucking expert. So for him, so so for him Just to see the mic, this having character. never been on a film set, having I mean, no, he had been on a film set, but to like to give the answer, it's a microphone, duh. Like to Emma, who it turns out that it was Emma Watson. But just like a catching being one of the only people in the room to catch that it's still a microphone on you is a very Slytherin thing. But then also like 
explaining it to someone like they also should know what it is and they're kind of an idiot that they don't. I mean, he just, (laughs) if someone was on the other end of that microphone and they heard him say, it's a microphone, duh. They wrote on their piece of paper, cast him right away. Like, because he was si- asterisk this moment. moment and save it for tw- the 20 year special. We're going to come back and reference this. Oh my God. I know. He's just like <laughs> the perfect little shit. And now, when you look, you know, at anybody's like social media or, um, really anything that these people are doing together, A, Tom. Felton is the most proud to have been in Harry Potter. Like he won't shut up about it. It does. A fan doesn't have to come up to him and have him start talking about it. Like he loves that he was in Harry Potter, but B he seems to be kind of the glue that holds everyone together. He seems like he has really good relationships with all of the cast members. I know that he's very good uh, friends with the, um, the twins who played Fred and George. He oh, cool. is very good friends with Rupert, obviously good friends with Emma because they're soulmates. Um, yeah, it's just, it's funny. You know, I've, I've never obviously worked in film. I know nothing about casting, but I do know that I have been told that like the nicest people have to play the meanest roles because they can play it sort of as like a, a totally opposite from them kind of thing. Whereas when you're kind of a mean person and you play a mean role, everyone can tell that it's just a little bit too authentic. Um, I'm I'm referencing Mean Girls specifically because Rachel McAdams played Regina George so perfectly because she's the nicest person in the world, apparently. And she played that mean girl role so well. So all that to say, it's just, it's funny to see Tom sort of be this like, very unexpected hero champion of the Harry Potter series. You know what I mean? I agree. And looking at his IMDb page, it's sort of fascinating that Emma Watson, obviously mega star and has gone on to do like many big projects, but like I would almost make the argument that like Tom Felton has sort of stayed in the, in the, you know, pop culture sphere a little quicker and more consistently i believe it was yeah he was one of the bad guys in rise of the planet of the apes the same year that deathly hallows part two came out so he was already like transitioning into doing stuff post potter which is a really fascinating thing that like he is both moving forward on his career and celebrating being in harry potter which a lot of you know the people that that did it sort of fall into one category or the other you know it was sort of either another role for older actors and they've continued to take roles since or for everyone that, you know, wasn't the big three sort of like became the defining thing of their careers and their lives. Like I can't think of something that the twins have done since also just got to say that show origin that he starred in. Did you ever watch that? Wasn't it on like YouTube TV thing? Yeah. Uh, Did not realize the main character that he plays is named Logan didn't think I could love him anymore. I'm going to go check that one out. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Very happy for you. Um, I, yeah, I would say probably the biggest thing that any of the kid actors have gone on to do um, would be Emma in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Interesting. Disney princess. I mean. Yeah. And then um, the actor who played Dean Thomas 
he starred in How to Get Away with Murder, uh, which, like, you know, Shonda's a big TV show situation. Um, uh, he's not- also in Foundation, which is a brand new series on Apple TV that Diana and I just watched, and Diana pointed oh, nice. him out. And I was like, holy shit, you're right, that's him. But yeah, I love, uh, it's funny that um, Tom was in a movie the same year he was in the last Harry Potter movie because the great Ari Gold taught me that you book your next movie before you're finished with your last movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) My dad likes to say that to me a lot, actually. The best time to find a job is when you already have a job. Yep. Um, But, you know, thinking about, excuse me, thinking about Deathly Hallows part one and part two, really, that's part one especially, um, they filmed it at the same time. I don't know if you know this. This is totally off topic. They filmed Deathly Hallows 1, Deathly Hallows 2 at the same time. I probably mm-hmm. told you that. But the reason for that is so that they didn't work for like 100 days on a movie with just three people in it. Because oh, Deathly Hallows okay. 1 is basically all Daniel, Rupert, and Emma. So they mixed it all in to like not totally overwork these three. Um, but when you think about the two as a whole, you know, Tom doesn't need to set aside a year of his life to make that movie, to be in, you know, four that's true. He's in, in very specific scenes. You're right. So it was very smart to go on and, and start to do the next thing and not just hope that, um, hope that, that Potter was going to just like propel you into the next thing. As soon as it was over, you kind of had to keep the, the wheels going yourself. Okay. So mm. let's talk about, um, about um jason isaacs because he had such an interesting way of working with tom um so we had you know we had already gotten a film where draco malfoy is established as this like little shit and jason isaacs has said it was my job to come in to this second film and make you feel a little bit bad for draco like you the 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 best kind of villain is one that you like secretly are are leaning towards rooting for because you start to understand them and that's right. exactly what he came in and did um so the funniest thing to come from this conversation was that um as soon as they started filming anything as soon as the camera was turned on he became the most unfriendly horrible person tom had ever met he said <laughs> And that um, there was a moment where um, he used his like snake head walking stick and accidentally put the like fangs into Tom's hand in one of their first scenes that they filmed together. Um, yeah, what an incredible yeah, Jason, story! <laughs> it's such a good and then like, they cut it. Story. And then they cut it. It's not even in the movie. It's in the like extended cut that you see on like TBS. Oh um, boy. Yeah, Jason has said like. I would just be as unpleasant as I possibly could and watched his little face constantly seek my approval. Um, I, lo- I obviously love the character of Draco Malfoy. I think it's he's incredibly complex and it sounds like we owe a lot of that to Jason Isaacs because he set the tone of um, understanding Draco's why of like, you know, the choices that he makes and 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 why he does it. So yeah um we'll obviously talk about tom felton again when we talk about my favorite moment of the whole thing um (laughs) other funny things here um richard harris thinking that the the story with the phoenix is 
It's too so much. rich. It's so good. It's so fucking. I good. just love that no one ever corrected him. That it was just like, no, just let him, let him, just let him magic. think that. Just please, let don't him think take it's true. <laughs> yeah, don't take that away from him. I know that was great. Um, um there's so many incredible ahead. actors, you know, associated with the franchise, and some of whom have been lost along the way. But I'm really glad that you know Gary Oldman still willing to talk about it the sit down with him and and Daniel Radcliffe was amazing and i love that daniel is kind of like so i was kind of getting to the point where i'm like yes i want to be taken serious as an actor and gary shows up on set and is like okay like like fall in line like l- let me let me show you the way and, and him really being it it takes a really special actor you know to be however old he was at the time 50 60 and playing an integral role in this major series and show up on set and be like yes but the kids are still the feature here and i need to bring them along like him having that within him is 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 incredible totally just the the understanding that even though you are the most famous person on set and you are the most tenured person on set. Mm-hmm. Um, you have stepped into something that is bigger than you. And the ability, like you said, to recognize that is uh, it, magical. Um, and it, it made it so that Gary Oldman was the perfect person to play Sirius Black. Um, right. The, and you both like embodies. Somebody- Oldman yeah. and the character. It's it's very synergistic. Yeah, you needed somebody who could really connect with Daniel as as a character, as a person, um, and and also take the role seriously enough. I think one of the greatest things that they ever did, and I started talking about this with, with Columbus as the director, they made kids' movies that you didn't feel... I mean, I'm 34 years old, and still, I don't feel like I have to dumb myself down to watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they managed to do that with a bunch of kids. It's just... Yeah, so so the conversation with Gary Oldman, just incredible. Um, I love Emma talking about how Daniel was behaving before he <laughs> Right, that was good, that was she good. She says... Um, you gave me the Gary chat. You were like, listen, Emma, you need to be cool because it's Gary Oldman. It's a really big deal and you need to be cool. And then, of course, Daniel is like, oh, my God, that was basically me talking into a mirror, Emma. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it very good. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. So they obviously, you know, they just brought in so many incredible people that um, that that made this what it is. Gary Oldman, um, Helena Bonham Carter. Obviously, Alan Rickman was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Maggie Smith, just amazing as McGonagall. Um, yeah, just just really all these people, these adults that, like you said, let it be about the kids, but um, helped tell really um, amazing stories. So they also talk about Alan Rickman. And this is something that I have known for a while. And this is one of my favorite things about Harry Potter. But... Back in the day when you didn't know how it was going to end, I didn't know if Harry Potter was going to die. We didn't know if Snape was a good guy. We Nobody knew. J.K. Rowling was the only person who held the answers in her mind. Um, but she felt that it was important to tell um, Alan Rickman the trajectory of Snape. You know, you're, you were in love with Harry's mother. You were devastated when she died. You made this 
handshake deal with Dumbledore to protect him all these years. He and J.K. Rowling were the only two people who knew about that. Um, and I, I just love that uh, Daniel and um, Gary Oldman joke about that. Like, oh, of course he knew. Of course he had the all the secrets. <laughs> the inside but line. It made such a difference in how he played that character. Um, so that was really fun to hear. You know, and with Harry Potter, like, when you're a fan of Harry Potter, you hear so many, like, they refer to it as, like, head canon, right? Where, like, people have made stuff up um, about, like, things that happened throughout the series that we never got to see or things that happened after, like, that people have accepted as, quote, head canon. And so sometimes you don't know if these little, like, anecdotes are real um, about, like, about Gary Oldman. Um, I mean, about... about Alan Rickman knowing about his character. You don't know if it's just one of these things that has been said so many times that it has entered like the Harry Potter lore, but this one is genuinely true. That's what I love about it. And it's a very like complicated thing to pull off, like still writing the books, movies have already started coming out and it, it like led to this big crescendo moment of what year did, did Deathly Hallows the book finally come out? Oh, seven, Oh eight. Like right yeah, around when, Order of the okay. Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince, one of those is coming out. So, like, you, Harry Potter is taking over the world, and yet this one really important character, you know, detail needs to be known by the actor in order to play his character correctly for the whole series. And, uh, yeah, obviously he pulls it off masterfully. Alan Rickman's one of the fucking greatest. He is. Um... Let's see, kind of moving through this list a little bit. The the Quaron um, homework assignment was great. <laughs> that uh, it, it leads yeah. to like sort of a cheeky like eye rolling moment of like, yeah, of course you did that. But uh, it it's not a super uncommon technique, you know, to to write a, an essay or whatever in first person as your character to really dive deep and understand them. And it was an interesting idea for a homework assignment because Quaron obviously hadn't been involved previously. So he's like, you know, this character, the best you tell me what you're, what you think this character is all about. And of course, Rupert's just like, yeah, you know, I didn't think Ron would do it. So, uh, I just fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is another one that you don't know was real or not. I feel like I've heard it so many times. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know if it was made up or if it was. I mean, I, I I assumed it was real, but it's always nice when you hear the actual people talk about it. Um, yeah, it, it also I, it's awfully convenient that it leans in so well to who each of the characters were. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, to your point, it's like, of course you didn't do it. Like, And of course we were like. Oh, this is what my character would do. You know, I don't think Ron got like a bunch of zeros on homework, though. That's the thing. He would at least turn in something. It would just be really half-assed. Like he should have asked Emma to write his for him. I was just going to say Ron that would. Done. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or at least um, it would have been a page and the, the first two paragraphs would have been written by Emma. Um, I loved hearing about Goblet of Fire and how by the time all the actors got there, um, they were, you know, young adults. They were teenagers. They were having crushes. This was basically like a school environment for all these kids. They literally had a school dance in Goblet of Fire. There um, are a couple clips loved- of them like doing homework 
I, I assume uh-huh. that they're all just homeschooled or something along the way. But that, did you did you notice those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to like <clears throat> go to school on set. Um, right, right. They, I mean, I, I guess they have some sort of like equivalent to their GED, hmm. like we have here. But I mean, Emma Watson went to Brown. She's a college grad. Right. Doesn't doesn't really matter. <laughs> just they, they got they got some piece of paper. Well, I'm pretty sure she's like the smartest person in the room, no matter what room she walks in. So maybe for everyone else, school is bullshit. But I have a feeling little Emma Watson took it very seriously. (laughs) All right, (laughs) Allie, I think we've put it off long enough. Let's talk about it. Oh, about them being in love? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, duh. (laughs) So speaking of school, yeah, this story comes comes together they kind of talk about the yule ball about how this was sort of like emma's i don't know like sweet six it's kind of how you have your sweet 16 and you finally get to wear like a grown-up dress and you get to like invite boys to your party and um that's what i took this as of like in the middle of filming goblet of fire emma got to have this like young woman moment um and i think that uh all of us sort of that's when we started to see her as like this very beautiful she wasn't just like a cute little kid anymore none of them were so this leads into a conversation about tom and emma being in love with each other so in case you haven't noticed um i am obsessed with tom felton i love him and i also love emma watson and i also am a firm fucking believer that if harry potter were real the characters of Draco and Hermione end up together. 100% full stop. I don't care what anyone thinks. I know that a character like Hermione Granger is attracted to, like, the bad boy. And even if they don't end up together, they give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Emma tells this story about being in, like, their classroom together, and the assignment was to draw what you think God looks like. Um, and Tom Felton drew a girl in a backwards hat on a skateboard. And Emma says that she fell in love with him. Um, she also is just so giddy and cute, basically explaining, like, if I saw him on the call sheet, I knew it was going to be a good day. Um, and this is just so high school, you know, like if you had like an AB class where like you did this on Tuesday, Thursday, this on Monday, Wednesday, like if there was a cute boy in your Monday, Wednesday class, you looked a little cuter on Monday, Wednesday, because you knew you were going to see him and you were going to sit there for 45 minutes with him. So this is kind of just how that all plays out, you know, like when we were all kids. But um, Tom says he knew that Emma had a crush on him and um, that he sort of saw her as a little sister. I don't really see it that way now. Um I think they are, there seems to be like mutual love for each other, consideration for each other, but it's not, it, it's somewhere between romantic and not romantic, but it's certainly not platonic. Is that the vibe you got too? I don't think that Tom is like friend zoning Emma Watson in this conversation. Yeah, this just seems like the case of, you know, two souls who do love each other, but for some reason, there's some extenuating circumstance or whatever that we're not aware of that's keeping them away from each other. Like the way that they talk yeah. about each other, it's like, 
well, what, what are we missing here? Doing? Yeah, <laughs> what's 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 the element here that's that you guys aren't, you know, madly in love and and married with with rings on our fingers here yet? What what's going on? So I don't know. It, it feels like uh, due to careers or you know whatever whatever may be the case, schedules, so, something's going on here. We're not privy to. Whatever it is, it's very clearly different than her relationship with Dan and Rupert. Yes, oh, like, very clear. There is a very, very clear uh, change in how she talks about Tom and how she talks about the two of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, very apparent. I don't think she would ever describe Tom Felton as being like her brother. There, there's like a, a very clear line that Emma's like, nope, not using that <laughs> verbiage because that is not the truth. Um. Yeah, and I mean, it just wraps up with, like, her saying nothing has ever happened romantically. We just love each other, and that's all I can say about that. And she has this, like, little Leave smile. Us more. That, I know, I know. So I'll spend the next 20 years trying to figure out what's going on with the <laughs> two of them. I just really hope that they have, like, a, if we're not married by the time we're yes, 40 yes, please. agreement, that they just fucking get married. Like, Absolutely save us all should. the trouble. You guys are in love with each other. um and then i was actually surprised but looking back on it 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 makes a lot of sense because it's definitely the type of thing that they wanted to discuss in in this special was uh our girl uh hermione almost leaving and and Mm -hmm. emma watson getting recast uh what did you make of how they presented it versus you know how it's talked about online and how we had to discuss it you know it was between Goblet and Phoenix, right? I think it was between four and five. Yeah. Okay. Because we just talked about what four was like, you know, a bunch of like basically 10th graders. Um, and I think she had been doing it for five years already. Right. And had another five years to go. And she seems like, I don't want to say like she had more ambition but it never seemed to just be about acting for Emma, even now. Um, I mean, even back then, we were still, society was like, you know, th- there was the the websites dedicated to when the Olsen twins turn 18. And like, ugh, obviously God. the same thing was with, with her. And it's like, there was so much toxic and disgusting conversation around her, you know, yeah, being yeah. a child actor, becoming a woman on screen that like, I don't blame her whatsoever for being like 14 and being like, dude, I, I just became a teenager and this is the beginning of like the toxic conversation around me. Like what the fuck? Like it, where is the abandoned button? How do I get the fuck out of here? So I, I understand the hesitancy. Right, like, what's it going to be like when it's acceptable for people to talk about me? This Precisely. Way? And so I, I, Acknowledge the hesitancy and I applaud her for moving forward and just being like, fuck it. I'm sticking this out. No one else gets to be Hermione on screen. Like this is me. This is my character. Yeah. I think, you know, there's an interview. I'll have to find it and send it to you. There's an interview with Daniel Radcliffe where he says, um, you know, someone, someone says that like, he can't be, they can't see him as like a sex symbol. I think this was probably when he was doing the Broadway show. Um, and he was naked a lot and people and there was an interviewer that was like yeah i don't think people really see you that way and he was like well why and they're like because we think of you as this little boy because we watched you in harry potter 
And he says, without missing a fucking beat, well, no one had any problems sexualizing Emma Watson from the very first film. So why do you think people feel that way about me? Like, boom. boom. I know. King of kings. Um, Yeah, and I think Emma has actually said, like, she can't imagine watching the films with someone else's Hermione. So it was Hmm, like, I don't necessarily want to continue doing this. I know what it's going to do to um, (laughs) maybe my mental health, but I can't watch someone else do it. That would be worse. Um, But yeah, God, the like mental fortitude that it must take to know that this is a risk and, and know that you're strong enough to handle it is unbelievable. And thank God, because just any recasting of like, probably up to number 10 on the call sheet would have been horrible. Right. The the fact that they made it through and the only character major character recast was because of an unexpected death is Mm -hmm. miraculous. Truly to do this for 10 years. All right. Let's Um, run through. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Really quickly. I just wanted to discuss maybe the last two really quick before we bring in our special guest. But um, okay. So when they talk about this, like horrifying kiss, that obviously ends up being <laughs> in the last one between uh, Emma and Rupert. I thought that they were going to be talking about the kiss during like the hallucinations when oh my God. Emma had to kiss Daniel. I thought that was going to be the more awkward kiss, but really it turned out to be this one between, between Rupert and her. <clears throat> so it's funny that you mentioned that because I was surprised that they didn't mention that because it is well documented that Rupert Grant was kicked off set that day because oh, he could not stop laughing at okay. Emma and Dan making <laughs> wow. out. Wow. And so then Dan wanted to like repay the favor of being a total dick about their kiss. And it's just, it's funny. They're kids. They've known each other since they were like 10 years old. And now all of a sudden they have to make out in front of four cameras and 19 adults, you know? Um, Yeah, I think the vibe on the Emma and Dan kiss was, like, goofy, silly. Because it's in a hallucination. So you can play it really... Over the top, yeah. Over the top, fantastical. I don't even think they had any fucking clothes on. Like, you can play it for what it is. Whereas with Emma and Rupert, this was a kiss that fans had been discussing and, and thinking about for all these years. I mean, since the first book, right. It had to be something big and and special and a a moment. It couldn't be goofy or silly or cheesy. It had to be a big deal. And I think they played it perfectly that it was really understated. You know, they even had like a little giggle at the end. They didn't do anything weird, like leave the scene with them kissing. Like, they're in the middle of a war. So it's a kiss. It's over. Now let's go finish this shit, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was sort of funny. I, I, I Let's just finish up. Like you said, you know, we talked about also on this list are um, the, the dance scene with Emma and Dan, which I just freaking love mm-hmm. the, um, the conversation with Helena Bonham Carter, where Daniel is, was in love with her and basically wrote her a letter that he wished she was 10 years older. That he's got um, the hots for her. <laughs> that he's got the hots for her, right. But I think what it really comes down to is these three people having this conversation together. I mean, I just get emotional thinking about the three of them sitting together in the Gryffindor common room. Like, they spent so much of their lives together and they even talk about 
you know, that Rupert says, like, I got a little lost on, like, what I thought as me and what I thought as this character. Right, Because they yeah. were so perfectly cast that... Very fine line between the two. You know, you take the magic out of it, <laughs> that whole thing, and these are really just kids who've grown up together, who have sort of been through the ringer and have had this experience that really only the three of them will ever understand. There is not a person alive that can relate to this experience period. I mean, even thinking about like some of these big like franchise films, like they were all adults when they did this. These right. were these were kids that have had a camera on them since they were 10 and at the end of the day the thing that got them through it was one another. And I just think I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again with the, with these three. It's hard to imagine. So, uh, I mean, I was trying to think about it. I'm like, okay, imagine your like group of friends or, you know, whatever your, your middle school, fifth, sixth, seventh grade class, whatever it may be. But then like you're with them for the next decade and it's a way more stressful environment and you're have way more scrutiny and criticism and like there, there's no escaping. You have to fight forward. You have to fight through like what, what they did, um, in coming out on the other side as normal fucking people. And nobody's like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a child actor story, quote unquote is, is remarkable. Oh, it's incredible. When you think about like Disney stars that we have watched just have such a, a rough experience with fame. It's, it's unbelievable that all of these kids came out and seemed to be pretty fully functioning grownups. Yeah. Um, when, when the worst thing that any of the big three did afterwards is the bling ring, you know, things ain't so bad. <laughs> They're not so bad. I've seen bring bling yeah, ring I twice. Mean, so, so I have the right to say that. <laughs> I like that this section is called Pillars of Life because they really were. They were one another's pillars. Um, The emotions, obviously, it says here, are just, like, so high. They'll always be a part of each other's lives. Um, This is all mixed in with, like, there's a conversation with the three of them. There's a conversation with um, just Emma and Rupert. And then there's sort of these, like, one shots on each of them. And it just – it comes together just to make this really incredible – it's it's almost like validating to see as a fan that like they get it they they get what is so special about it and that that it's like truly changed people's lives and i'm so grateful that time has gone by enough time has gone by for Daniel to say stuff like everything in my life is connected to Harry Potter and not say it in a resentful way. Do you know what I mean? Like it was Absolutely. just so I'm sure that was a whole journey for himself too. Yeah, for sure. Because of course you think about like, what could have been different? Could I have a family? Could I, you know, be able to walk out of my house without there being a bunch of cameras Are people going to call me Harry Potter forever? Like, so just from top to bottom, this whole thing, I mean, the Robbie Coltrane talking about how in 50 years he won't be around, but Haggard will be my God. And then just he the gave whole off thing the most ended. like 
warm and sentimental and nostalgic vibes of anyone in the whole thing. He he really was like, wow, I was a part of something incredibly special. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the big three, the kids, Tom and all of them, they're 30 years old. So a third of their life was taken up by this. Whereas someone like Robbie Coltrane or who was part of it for all 10 years, it's not a, as big of a chunk of his life. Mm-hmm. So he can look back at it really differently. And and um, he probably had like immediate nostalgia. Like the minute they were done, he was like, okay, <laughs> um, I miss it already. But um, yeah, I mean, just sort of unbelievable to see those scenes of them wrapping up their last scene together. And, um, but just to wrap it up, I think the choice, I loved the choice to have part of a part of one of the films to be the end and not someone talking the the conversation between Dumbledore and Snape about his Patronus and that it's the same as Lily Potter's and that last line of always I loved that choice to have it be from a from the film and not be you know like Daniel talking or or trying to make like a a quotable moment it's like we already have this very beautiful very apropos moment from the film that has stood the test of time why not just end it with this I thought it was beautiful no incredibly well said Uh, I'm very glad we watched it and and had this discussion with that said should we take a quick break before we bring in our very special guest absolutely alright we will be right back entered a very special uh sorting hat ceremony i've still got logan here hi hello and welcome logan um but we are joined by our friend alan who um had this like amazing idea to have a crossover of harry potter and the challenge all stars two so alan and i have gone through and we have sorted the entire cast of all stars two into their hogwarts houses we're going to go down the list. We're probably going to argue about it. And Logan, the guy who knows the least in the room about Harry Potter, I will is be going the arbiter. to be the tiebreaker, which seems completely <laughs> stupid and baseless. But Alan, hi. Welcome to the Rotten Banana Podcast, or whatever the hell this is at this point. Rotten Banana, Rotten Butterbeer, two amazing people. Very happy to be here. Always love to talk about Harry Potter. And I have to know. This is actually the first time I've ever been on the podcast in the Alley era. I was on yeah. the podcast a lot pre-Alley, and then Alley came in. And it's just funny because you you and I, Alley, we talk all the time, but I've never been on the podcast after you joined in all these years. I know. I was just thinking about that as I was, like, talking about you. It just seems very normal that you're here. But, yeah, we have never done a podcast together. Um, it seems very fitting that this is a – One Tree Hill, Harry Potter crossover. If we could somehow get Entourage in here too, it would just be (laughs) peak Allie and Alan. Um, But first, before we start letting Logan make up rules, um, I just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for the incredible 
article send off love letter that you published today. We were both so deeply overwhelmed and everybody, you know, Ashley Lamana made the joke to make sure I had tissues before I started reading it, but Logan cried too. So take that Ashley. Um, (laughs) It was just so kind and generous and just wildly unnecessary. Um, And I think the unnecessary acts of kindness are so much, they, they resonate so much more. So truly, Thank you so much. I mean, I don't want to speak for Logan. I'll let him talk too, but we were incredibly overwhelmed. So it was humbling, man. It it was, uh, I've never had anyone, you know, write about the podcast that way. It it was an, an amazing tribute to the, this era that, that Allie and I shared together. I'm incredibly happy that, that you got to be a part of it. You know, we're not retiring from podcasting forever. We'd still love to collaborate with some stuff in the future, but, um, it, it really meant a lot to us. And, uh, I just want to say that I'm, I'm here to confess my love for caffeine. Is that right? Uh, caffeine. I mean, no, it's funny. Ali asked me, it's like, uh, are we doing this on my podcast or your podcast? And I was like, <laughs> I have a podcast. And I was like, I, I, I forgot. I forget about it sometimes. Like I don't, I don't post about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean the, the, the few the feelings mutual i mean you guys have always championed my work and i'm always gonna champion you guys and the fact you guys are be doing when you guys do podcasts it's gonna be about like non-challenge content i'm gonna be definitely listening a lot more because like i'm <laughs> i'm up to my knees in challenge content like i don't i don't rewatch the show i don't like i watch the show one time and then i like i move on i, I memorize it all but like it, it, it's over for me. I'm like, I'm done with the challenge. I, I, I cover it, but yeah, you guys are amazing. And I'm just, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You're amazing too. We we've like had a lot of conversations between me and Logan, just about it's really important to us that when all is said and done, we feel like we did it in a way that mattered to someone, you know, like, so to have your article today and to have like our friends and people who have supported us say the kind things that they said, it, it, you, you feel like it matters. And it's like, that's very, um, it's very gratifying to like be able to look back on these three years. And like Logan said, like you said, like, we're not done. We're still going to do things, but it just feels like such a gift that we were able to take a podcast about a silly show on MTV and make it something that mattered to people. So that was really the best part about today. It's always nice to read nice things about yourself, but to to be able to take away that like, you know, Allie and Logan are going to kind of live somewhere in people's hearts was just, yeah, really, really special. So thank you. Endlessly. Thank you. Okay. The reason we're here, though, is (laughs) we have taken, Alan and I have taken in all of our Harry Potter and challenge knowledge and sorted the cast of All Stars 2. You guys are the hat. We are the sorting hat. I (laughs) am basically the human sorting hat, Alan. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I pretty much am batting a thousand with sorting people into their houses um, before they even take the Pottermore test. So I don't want to say... I don't know if this is a competition, but I'm going to win it, whatever it is. Um, So we've sorted all these people into their houses. We're going to go through and explain it, you know, how we came to these decisions, um, as erroneous as those explanations might be. And if (laughs) 
I think a lot of them are going to be the same. I think a lot of them are going to be completely different. And I can't believe I'm allowing this, but Logan's going to be the tiebreaker. So (laughs) (laughs) I've got my gavel. I'm ready to judge. (laughs) All right. Should we just jump into it? Let's start it off. (laughs) All right. First thing is first, though. I want to say that to be on reality TV, you have to sort of have a lot of Gryffindor qualities. Because I, I, I found myself sorting a lot of people into Gryffindor on this list because you sort of, I mean, it sort of have to have some of the, like, <laughs> disregard for your own safety, like, reckless bravery. Um, it, what is required of a challenger is a, basically a, a circle instead of a Venn diagram with what is required to be sorted into Gryffindor. So if it seems like my list skews that way, Alan, kind of maybe you're the same way too. That's why. Reality TV is defined by everyone thinking they're the main character. And that's sort of the Gryffindor mentality, right? I mean, you said it and you are the Gryffindor in the room. So wait, Alan, what is your Hogwarts house? Uh, This is a tough question because I've been, I've been a hat stall on many quizzes. Ooh, are you a, are my, you a hybrid? Um, I have my guess of what you would be, but I'm curious what you are. Um, if you had to like ask me what do I like, if I had to say which one I am, like if like the hat, like hey kid, pick your house. Uh, I'm a Slytherin. Okay, I was gonna say either Slytherin or Ravenclaw. That's the hat stall. That's the yeah. It's every time, like like if I take the quiz a hundred times, it's gonna be fifty fifty. Yeah. I could see that. And I think there's like, there's a part of Slytherin that like, you kind of have to want to be in it. I don't think there's many people who um, get sorted into Slytherin anymore that don't already kind of know that they fit the bill. You know what I mean? Um, So really, I mean, for people to claim Slytherin, they have to, it's like Slytherin and proud or Slytherin and not at all. Yeah. You don't want to play me in a board game. Uh, if you're generally incompetent, I'm going to call it out. So you don't, I'm, I'm yep. definitely a Slytherin. You don't, you don't yep. want to, you don't want to deal with that. I didn't okay, know, cool. you know how so to Okay, cool. So I'm read. glad we're kind of coming at this from the same view. Two Slytherins, uh, <laughs> sorting all these people. Okay. Darrell is first on my list. Um, He's first on mine too. I just want to say, so I'm excited. <laughs> to hear what and it's very fitting that we are starting with him after that conversation, because I think Darrell is 100% a Slytherin. I think he's 100% a Hufflepuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, let me let me let me let me make the case. Like when you think of Hufflepuff, like that's the house like no one kind of wants to be in. It's the one where like people kind of poke jokes at. Darrell has just a confidence to him. He has a humility. He has an ability to like, you know, find the finish line. Hum- like Hufflepuffs they keep their heads down. They just go to work. And also, when Darrell walks in a room, Nobody's making fun of Hufflepuff anymore when he's their head boy. Uh, Cedric Diggory, elite seeker, elite quidditch seeker. Reminds me of the way Darrell, it just like, you know, people talk about Johnny Bananas. People talk about uh, C.T. West. Cedric Diggory, out of Hufflepuff, was the the Goblet of Fire Triwizard Games representative out of Hufflepuff. He's better than all of them. And I feel like Darrell, he kind of has that Cedric Diggory quality to him. That's fair. That's a very good assessment. I went with Slytherin because 
Darrell, in my opinion, isn't afraid to be the bad guy when he needs to be. He has the ability to turn it on and make some cutthroat moves and do the things that he needs to do to get to where he wants to be. You know, one of the descriptors of of Slytherin is is very cunning. And I think of Darrell as a very cunning player. But I also appreciate that he has the, to your point, loyal is one of the words that we use to describe Hufflepuffs. When it comes to his family, he is very dedicated to his family. But that's also a Slytherin trait. So I don't know. I see it. You know, I'm thinking back to like punching Brad in the face. Would a Hufflepuff have done that? I don't know. Um, I just went with Slytherin. A drunken Hufflepuff, perhaps? It's like you said, when he walks into the room, no one is talking bad uh, in your example about Hufflepuff. But in my example, it's like nobody's talking bad at fucking all because he's a big bad Slytherin, in my opinion. Oh, is this my turn to to, to, to I I like the cutthroat aspect of him. All right, Logan, you have to make the call because we didn't agree. I've come down with an official opinion. Darrell Taylor is a Slytherin. It is Yes! <laughs> Alan, you made some excellent points. But uh, I think he, he's got uh, that, that, that little nature in him that's just like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes at all costs to win. And I think that pushes mm-hmm. him over the top. All right. In in my most Slytherin move ever, I just put a little check mark next to Darrell. Like, oh, got that one right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who we got okay. up next? I have Casey up next. Um, and I, for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I'm I'm drawn to Hufflepuffs and I'm drawn to Casey Cooper. I have Casey as a Hufflepuff. She found some new competitive qualities. In her, this go, but I think at her core, she is always there for a good time. She's always there to be nice and kind and sort of cuddly and someone you can turn to who will listen, who will support you. She's just the Hufflepuffs that I love in my real life, and there's a lot of them. Casey Cooper has a lot of those same qualities to me. I also had Casey as a Hufflepuff, and you explained yes. all the reasons why. <laughs> Boom. Nailed all right. It. Check. Okay. Um, I have – the person I have next is the only one I can't come up with an answer for. Well, I have two that I can't come up with an answer for. So we can either keep them to the end, or we can just tackle it now, and I'll just go with whatever you say, Alan. Let's, go, let's, let's uh, tackle it at the end. Okay. So next up, I have MJ. Oh, this is um, a tough one. Alan, do you want to go first? Uh, I I can go first if you don't want to. Yeah, you can go first. Okay. Um, I have MJ as a Gryffindor. For a lot of the reasons that we talked about in the beginning, you sort of have to be Gryffindor to even want to be on reality television. Um, but I think MJ has a lot of the qualities. You know, he is fine being... <laughs> the center of attention he can handle being the center of attention he can back it up um he is funny he is charming he's outgoing um he just has all of the qualities that I think of when I think of someone that's in Gryffindor and I think 
he, if he's a Harry Potter fan, would want to be in Gryffindor. He would want to be in that, like, I, I am the focus of this story. <laughs> I am the main character, but I can back it up too because I'm strong and I'm smart and I'm um, courageous. Okay. I have him in Ravenclaw. Uh, a bit, not like the, the Ravenclaw you'd expect, but I think more in like the beauty queen type stuff where like what MJ's good at, he's exceptional at. He's tall, he's fast. He has the long blonde locks. Uh, that went in the air. And I think about MJ in the past, the two especially, was a bit of a vain guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he kind of fits that, 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 you know, I don't know if he's brave like a Gryffindor is, but I think he has the flair. You know, he has more of the sizzle to the stake, if anything. Uh, I don't, because I don't see him being the person that like jumps out of a car, but if it jumps out of a car and like people were recording it for like YouTube or Vine or something like that, he would, he would do it for the Vine. For sure. like clout, yeah, that's, that's what I see him more as. Yeah, I could see that. He's he's for me. He reminds me of um, Cormac McLaggen. <laughs> like you said, like he is all about the Quidditch team at school as long as he makes it. But if he doesn't make it, it's the dumbest thing anybody's ever done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of my Gryffindor reasoning, I I agree with you. A lot of my Gryffindor reasoning is because. There's got to be some of those things somewhere deep inside of you to even want to be on reality TV. So I'll be okay if I lose this one. Um, For me, the people that I put in Ravenclaw on this list are the people who sort of like, they could care less whether they're there or not. Like they could, like it's not make or break for their lives. That's how I always think about Ravenclaw is like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. Um, I'm going to get everything right. I'm going to do this puzzle. But like, if I go home, it doesn't affect my life at all. Cause I don't really give a fuck about any of this. So that is how like my line of thinking, but Logan, you are the decision maker. What you got? I don't know if we're allowing hybrids, but I'm looking at the Griffin claw, uh, wiki page, <laughs> uh, Griffin oh, claw. Griffin claw is a house member is curious, adventurous, uh, it has a natural craving for exploration. Due to this, they may be seen as a jack of all trades. I don't know. It kind of seems perfect for him. But if not, if we got to go definitively, I'm going with Ravenclaw. I, I think for the sake I, of this, we need to I go definitive. I, I, okay, cool. I'm not, I don't have a, I, I have a list in my notes app. So I'm just writing uh, an X, not next to any name, just an X for myself. So yeah. <laughs> got all one right. One, one to one here. Okay, next up I have Tyler Duckworth. Um, Tyler for me is Slytherin in the same way that I am Slytherin. He is cocky. He is confident, but he can back it up. He's a pretty smart guy. Um, He is strong. He can turn on the cutthroatness. I'm going to use that word a lot, I guess. He is cunning. He is... I just think any guy, anyone really that can show up in an article of clothing made completely of feathers and tell someone to their face to fuck off if they don't like it, you have to be a Slytherin. Mm. Alan? Yeah. No, yeah, he's definitely a Slytherin. And okay. uh, I'm just thinking, like, if I, was in, if I was in school with Tyler, I would hate him. I would just absolutely hate him. <laughs> but also because we're, like, a little bit similar in some ways. But I would, I, I'd be ready for the snide comment for whenever he says something. Yeah. Yeah. We're like 
Slytherins were always ready to go. And more often than not, we don't like each other. Like, yeah. people in Slytherin don't make friendships with other people in Slytherin. They make alliances, but that's not the same thing. Um, yeah, so, like, Tyler's always ready, and I'm the same way, with, like, a smile to your face. Everything's hunky-dory, but as soon as you want to go, we can go. All right, so we agree on that one. Logan, your services are not needed. Okay, next up, I have Kendall. Alan, you go first. I have a Ravenclaw. Uh, you know, she just seems, at, like, when it comes to, like, the yoga, being a mom, being a nurse, she's very, like, spe- she's very talented in a specialized way. She's, like, mm. elite at what she's good at and what she's not so good at. Uh, crumbles a bit from there. But overall, just, like, really, like, a master of their craft. That's fair. I have her in Hufflepuff just because if somebody's like remotely nice and kind and generous, that's where they go in my mind. <laughs> Logan? I'm going Hufflepuff. <laughs> fair. That was my answer. See, I also realized I didn't have Kendall on my list because she didn't go home via like elimination. So and then I was going off like the wiki so because she didn't go home that way. I that, I realized she just wasn't on there when you'd ask me for her. Oh yeah, yeah. So she yeah. I mean, I don't know. She's just so nice and sweet and cuddly and like competition's great. She to your point, like she does totally stand out in the things that she does. But at the end of the day, um, her like main goal is to just like be nice and make people feel good. All right. Um, I have my first Ravenclaw up. Um, I have Janelle as a Ravenclaw. I think she's very smart. I think she's very straightforward. I think she could take or leave it. Like she's going to try her hardest, but she does sort of have this air of like, you know, Ravenclaws do have an air of being a little bit better than people, usually because they are. Um, For me, a Ravenclaw is like the ultimate, if I assign you in Ravenclaw, it's like the ultimate gold star. I just think you're like perfectly stuck up and smart and like all the things things that I wish I could get away with being. Um, yeah, Janelle, Ravenclaw, Alan, what do you got? Uh, excellent argument. I had her in Slytherin. Uh, I just, I think she has that air to her. Um, it's, it's honestly the same argument that you made, except in a more, like, she plays the game straight up. It's like, a, you also have to remember, like, a lot of Slytherins do have that, like, that blood tie of, like, you know... They are, a lot of them are second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, 87th generation wizards. Um, And and Janelle just has that confidence to her. Like, she's just like, well, you know, take it or leave it. I play the game my way. I'm going to, she also is like been very willing to like throw out comments at the opposition that others haven't. And I, I find that very Slytherin-ish. Yeah, she does. She just has, she just has an air to her that I find very Slytherin. But I, I do, I yeah, do see I your argument. It, it's, yeah, could, I think you have the same argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just we take it differently. Like, I think if it came down to it and she had to make, like, a, a nasty undercut move, I don't think she would do it. I think she would rather, like, remove herself from the game than have to get, like, really down and dirty. Like, if if you put Janelle in elimination and she had to do, like, hall brawl or pole wrestle, I think she's like, I don't need this shit. I'm not getting in the dirt with you. I'm going to take my Ravenclaw ass home. Whereas like a Slytherin, it would be more like, hell yeah, I'm ready to scrap. Let's fucking go. 
Um, I'm gonna, so I'm either gonna one. Get, I'm, I'm gonna jump on your side actually, and also like the beauty element. There, like you know, Ravenclaw has that emphasis mm. of beauty, and she's always on point with her hair, her makeup. Yeah. Am, am, am I debating for you? Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh my gosh, we didn't even need a judge because I, it sounds like Ravenclaw is <laughs> definitive here. Uh, I will mention this at the show here in San Francisco. You know, when Scott goes around and takes questions from everybody in the crowd, somebody waited. Scott came over and it wasn't even a question. They just said, uh, one time right after your real world season aired, you like walked by me and my friends at this, at this mall down in the South Bay and like turned around and we said, what's up. And we've like talked about it ever since. <laughs> so it was <laughs> like, like this guy has held on to this moment for like 14 years. Oh and she was God. just like, okay, great. I'm like, glad I made your guys day. So I don't know if that fits her into Ravenclaw, but that's the story. We're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah all right so Ravenclaw Janelle we like it I'm gonna do two to just like knock these out because I'm pretty sure that we'll agree Alan um Tina Katie Slytherin right yes okay checks out for obvious reasons <laughs> just check them off your list guys we know we're right we don't need to explain it um Let's see here. Steve, I have as a Ravenclaw. I think he's a pretty smart I, guy. Yeah. I mean, how is a hand model not a Ravenclaw? That's like. <laughs> I mean, but also his interaction with Derek about Derek's like Chubby's outfit. That was very Ravenclaw to me because he was like, wait, wait, wait. I have to be like nice about like I just was I just said what I was thinking. Why are you so why are you so offended? Like every Ravenclaw I know in my real life has said the meanest fucking thing to me and then looked at me and been like, wait, I, I, I didn't mean that in a mean way. I just said what I was thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was a very Ravenclaw moment for me. So Steve, Ravenclaw, you agree? Yo, yeah, I, that, was, that, was a, that was like a cold hard lock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Derek. Kaczynski, Gryffindor, seems very Gryffindor, obvious. Gryffindor, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the main character. He is the main character. He is, um, how did I describe it earlier, Logan? Reckless bravery. Uh, right, That's, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. John A. Alan, will you go first? I feel like I'm doing all the talking. I, John A., I have. I have John A. as a Gryffindor. Uh, I think she's always been exceptionally brave, especially in the more extreme challenges they always have. Like, John A. is someone who, like, thrives in height challenges. She's like, oh, this is crazy. This is hilarious. Uh, and whenever they do, like, wild eating challenges, she's just eating away with no fear to herself. And I just think, like, you watch her overall growth over the years. Like, I don't know if I would have said she was, like, a Gryffindor, like, eight years ago, but now especially, I feel like, she is like that main character type now. So I had Ravenclaw, but I just crossed it out and wrote down Gryffindor. You have convinced me very easily because I realized that John A, while she is very smart and very um, able in these games, the thing that she has the most of is bravery. Whether or not she's the best at something, she's going to try the hardest at that thing and that's a very Gryffindor quality to me. She mentioned that last episode, right? She's like, I have the the heart. Like, that's what my my 
game is defined upon. Yeah. There's a there's a moment with John A. I think all the way back in Access Two where they they were doing a challenge similar to the one from last week where they jump from uh, tanker trunk to tanker truck, and she just says, "Oh, this is crazy," and then she just laughs, and I'm like, "That's <laughs> that's that's just such a Gryffindor thing." <laughs> um. All right. Let's see. Next on my list is another one that I can't decide, so I'm gonna save them for the end. Um. Tech. Tech is up. I have tech in Hufflepuff because for all the same reasons, he is just nice and competition. I feel like he has been so much more competitive in All-Stars 2 than he was on All-Stars 1. And it's because his Alliance members who are in other Hogwarts houses have been like, no, you can make the final. You're in this. We're in an Alliance. We have each other's backs. And so he went from like... It's like he's a Hufflepuff and like his his other house friends have like grabbed his hand and been like, no, we're going to the end. I I had Tef, Tech as like a pretty hard Ravenclaw as well. Um because I, I do think he is like that charismatic figure. And you know, there's like one very famous Ravenclaw out there, and his name is Gilderoy Lockhart. Uh and I feel like Tech. He's the guy who just brings in that flair, like, dude, like, I'm in a room with you. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna know who I am. And even though he, I, I agree, he's been way more competitive in All Stars too. But even if you watch him like compete with Ayana, he's he's always like complaining about Ayana, then asking her to do the puzzles for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like, the complaining thing is more of just a shtick. Yeah, but like there'll be like little stuff where he's like part of this group, and then he's like, all right, can, now, now what what can you guys bring to the table? He's all like, I'm bringing the energy, I'm bringing the charisma, I'm bringing the song. This is what I'm good at. Uh, it's yeah, like, um, it, it's like at in the office at trivia when Aaron rings the bell and no one on her team knows the answer, and she's like, I'm just the bell girl, babe. Like that is. <laughs> wow, that is easily the most obscure moment of the office you have ever referenced, Ellie. <laughs> Holy shit! I love that. Oh, that, that was a deep that's cut. Not obscure at all. That's a that's an that's an all time episode. <laughs> That, that bell girl, babe. Like Tech that, is that, ringing yeah. the bell for the the King's Alliance, and he doesn't that, know the yeah. answer, but he is so convinced that someone on his team does. And I will go with you on this one. I will go on Ravenclaw, but I'm also going to correct you because another very well known Ravenclaw is Queen of Weird Luna Lovegood. It is yeah. often forgotten that she is a Ravenclaw. And it's a good reminder that not everyone in Ravenclaw is like super serious, super focused on, you know, the end game. Yeah. So I will go with you. I will change mine to Ravenclaw. Like I said a, a few minutes ago, it's very rare that I give out Ravenclaw. Um, so I think that's why I'm just so like stingy with it. So you have convinced me tech is a Ravenclaw. Yeah, how could people forget Luna is a Ravenclaw? Like, come on, people. Because she didn't act like one, but she served I mean, as, like, the perfect the, foil. the Gryffindor hat to the Quidditch thing, so everyone would be like, oh, that's an obvious Gryffindor, but she's just, she just has school spirit, bro. She's <laughs> just supporting her friends. Like, it, she, yeah, she she didn't care. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's do Leah. Um, I have Leah all also as a Ravenclaw. And my reason for that is because of how stunned she was that she 
didn't have enough personal relationships to take her anywhere in the game. Like she seemed truly shocked that all these people kept in touch and that they were going to count on their personal relationships to get them somewhere. And I just think that's a really Ravenclaw thing to just be like, what do you mean? I can't, I can't just like do well and like finish this puzzle. And that's like enough to get to the next thing. Why do I have to be best friends with everybody to do it? Not in a mean way though, not in a Slytherin, like I'm not, I don't need anybody. I'm, I I am a, I am an Island. I don't need any help here. Leah seemed to be genuinely confused that uh, personal relationships played a role. My argument for Leah being in Ravenclaw is different. Uh, I Mandela affected myself. I I don't know if I Mandela, I, I convinced myself that Leah and her Instagram had a post about herself being a Ravenclaw. Like she had a Ravenclaw yeah. tattoo. I don't know if that's true, but she looks maybe, like someone who would have a Ravenclaw it. tattoo. Yeah, I don't she know. But like, like she would have the diadem yeah. tattooed somewhere. That like very beautiful <laughs> crown. <laughs> like I didn't, you you made a great argument. And I was like, yeah, she just looks like she'd have a Ravenclaw tattoo as a human. Like, that's what I, that's what <laughs> I thought. We agree. So it's fine. <laughs> um, Alan, you pick, you pick who's next on the list. All right. Okay, this one. Uh, Nehemiah. <laughs> and I have Slytherin for Nehemiah. Uh, I know you said that, like, you know, not all Slytherins are friends with each other, but alliances do happen. And I think Nehemiah <laughs> has played a very Slytherin S, you know, like, you know, type game where he's created numbers. And also, birds of the same fl- uh, feather flock together. He's Wes Bergman's best friend. Yeah, fair. And. I just think that, like, th- like especially because, like, Wes was, like, a, was, Wes is, like, one of the biggest Slytherins that's ever been on the challenge, and you can tell that he's influenced Nehemiah to, like, really come out of his shell and play a more political game on these seasons. Um, yeah. Because Nehemiah's been playing a lot like Wes. So Nehemiah was one of the ones that I couldn't make my mind up on. I wrote down Slytherin. I crossed it out. I wrote down Gryffindor and I crossed it out. And I was like, I'm just going to hear <laughs> what Alan has to say. I also want to hear what Logan has to say. Cause Nehemiah is a really interesting one. Um, he would be a hat stall in my opinion, because he's one of the ones that I think really wants to be Slytherin really wants to have these like cunning qualities, but doesn't, but but has to like work to have them, whereas like someone like Wes just wakes up in the morning and has them. Um, so a lot of times you do get sorted based on the qualities you admire. That's why Hermione is a Gryffindor and not a Ravenclaw because she admired the bravery aspect of it and wished she could be more like that. So I will I will totally go with you on Slytherin. I do think he is a Gryffindor trying to be a Slytherin because his Gryffindor ways in the past didn't work. So he's like, oh, let me try this on now. Yeah. So I think he's like got his foot in the in the pool, uh, in the Slytherin pool. But I, but for this game specifically, All Stars two, he is playing a Slytherin game. And to the point about Tech, Tech needed someone to behave like a Slytherin. And like pull him in the in the direction of like a friendship and alliance. A let's go to the end together. And and yeah, that's what Nehemiah is doing. All right, I concur. Slytherin. I think it's, it checks out. Slytherin Nehemiah. So let's finish up this alliance and let's go with Latarian. Oh, yeah. oh, 
What about, do we already we'll do both Wanda? of them? Yeah, both of them. And it's really funny because, well, let's do them together because it's all an alliance. I have Melinda as a Ravenclaw, and I have Letarian as a Slytherin. <laughs> so this whole alliance uh, is made up now of two Slytherins, two Ravenclaws. When, uh, when is this podcast dropping? Tonight, potentially. We also okay, don't know any tonight? spoilers, so don't don't spoil anything. No, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I have Melinda as a Gryffindor. Um, I actually, no, I had her as a Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> I I think she's been incredibly brave this last season and has shown so much bravery compared to her old self. But I do think that when it comes to Melinda, she's always been extremely loyal and she's always been extremely welcoming, like the, you know, real mm-hmm. life of the party. And like, she was loyal to like a, the wrong person and Danny Jameson for way too long. But now she has a group of people who make her feel supported. And she's just, she's working her ass off. She's just playing like the best challenge of her life. Um, but yeah, I think she's brave. I think she's loyal. I think she's fun. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think I picked Ravenclaw because of who she seems to be in her real life. I think I maybe stepped out of the game for a moment on this one because, like, I think of Melinda as um, obviously incredibly beautiful and has never let it let that be the most interesting thing about her. Um I think she's super smart. I love that she started a podcast. She's had it going for like a while. She was right. She was kind of ahead of the podcast game. Um, at least for like the content she covers too. I don't know. I just, again, I assign someone Ravenclaw as a huge fucking compliment and I just adore Melinda. So I was like, Oh, Ravenclaw, because I'm obsessed with you. And, um, I have you <laughs> on like the highest pedestal ever. So, um, Logan, your call. I think I'm gonna have to go Gryffindor. I get it. I think I think I, mean, I, I see it. I, I I I went with Hufflepuff, so <laughs> I th- yeah. I, he like, said I, Gryffindor, I and then he changed yeah. it to Hufflepuff, Logan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I you mean, can be right. I, I still see yeah, you can just, the, you the can archetype. Just to Gryffindor on us. Are there are there uh, hi- triple hybrids? Can you be three different houses? She's just all the things. She's all the best parts of all four houses, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Logan is saying Gryffindor because he's imagining being in, like, the Gryffindor common room with Melinda because he's in love with her, so. Well, that's yeah. obvious <laughs> enough, right? Obviously. <laughs> all right. Is it the Hufflepuff common room that always has pancakes? Yeah, because they're right next to the kitchen, so they always have snacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I and, put Kendall uh, in Hufflepuff because she loves snacks. Ooh, yeah. Okay. I agree with uh, the LT Slytherin thing. You know, if, if Nehemiah is playing is playing the Draco West role, you know, you, you need a good crab. You need a good Goyle. Yeah. I just think um, I, you could convince me of Gryffindor with Letarian because he is just like a cool, genuine, straightforward guy who can like turn it on when it comes to like being competitive. But I, I think that even in it, in like his regular life, even when things aren't competitive, there's always that little side of Latarian that's like, I don't need any of these people. I can do this myself. I am, am like a one man band. And I, I think when you think you don't fucking need anybody, you're a Slytherin. Like, yeah, he plays by his own set of laws. That's right. 
Do we agree on that? Do we need Logan? We agreed. Slither. Yeah, you agree. We agree, yeah. Okay. Uh, Brad, I'm going to do Brad and Jody as a team because A, they were a team. B, I assigned them to the same house. And C, it's for pretty much all the same reasons. Um, I have Brad and Jody as Gryffindors. Brad, because he wants everybody to like him and like can't handle it when someone doesn't. He can't just let it go. And Jody, because she's so competitive and she's not a sore loser. She's just not used to losing. So she kind of doesn't handle it well. Like in one of those, in one of the episodes where she realized she had gotten part of the puzzle wrong. She, she really panicked because she's not used to being wrong. So Brad, Jody are both Gryffindors in my opinion. 1000%. It's a wrap. I even, I had everyone in the list. <laughs> by themselves and then i just wrote brad and jody gryffindor like yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i don't like calling people a sore loser um but like she, she doesn't Jody's handle it just, super well yeah she's it's, just unfamiliar <laughs> with the experience of look, losing. look I, yeah that's so much nicer than like anything i would blog because if i was blogging <laughs> i'd be like yeah gryffindors they're illiterate what do you expect <laughs> That's good. Oh uh, how do we feel about TJ? Ooh. Do we, do we see him as a, uh, I mean, obviously even, you know, the uh, teachers and stuff are sorted yeah, at sorted. some point. Yeah. Early on in life. Where do we think TJ would have landed? So TJ for me, he has this, like, he has like the Dumbledore vibe of like, do we know what house Dumbledore is in? Was he a Gryffindor? Is that embarrassing that I don't know? Yeah, he was a Gryffindor. But like, you know, he's not he's not McGonagall who's so like who's head of Gryffindor house. He has all the the good, the best qualities of each house. He's been there the longest. But he's also he, a little sassy. He's a little sassy. And he's like the person they can all turn to, but they're also sort of intimidated by him. Like the the perfect balance of being like welcoming and friendly, but while also remaining like completely in charge and powerful. It, I don't even, I think he like transcends houses and just becomes the like headmaster of everything. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I love your reference for TJ as a Griffin as a Gryffindor. My my opinion was that TJ is a Gryffindor like Seamus. Like Seamus just likes blowing stuff up. <laughs> TJ just likes doing like flips on his bike. Yeah, that's true. He's just sort of like I like here that rationale. For a good time. <laughs> and Seamus in real life uh ended up losing a lot of his money gambling. I think Seamus in the books is a gambler. At the Triwizard Tournament, and I'm pretty. Doesn't TJ live in Vegas? Sure does. He does. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So I don't know. TJ for me, I guess Gryffindor, but he has reached a level of enlightenment that does not require knowing your Hogwarts house. You just, yeah, I don't know. Um. All right, Ryan. I had. I couldn't decide. Between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. I think Ryan's a Hufflepuff who really wants to be a Gryffindor, but hasn't ever done anything to qualify him for it. I had a 
I have Ryan as a Slytherin. Um, I, I mean, I didn't really get a, much of a vibe from Ryan in this like newer season. Um, but Brian back in the day was just so strong at that social game and playing everyone's friend and really like finding the way to navigate the game for himself through the rules. Um, I, he kind of felt he, like was he when pretending it came to, like, to be, was he pretending to be everyone's friend or was he just genuinely becoming everyone's friend? Nah, I, don't, I, I mean, I think there were like a lot of people he was kind of just like playing or schmoozing, um, I have no strong opinion on this, though. I, I, I just have always seen him as more of a Slytherin. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could I, see I, it. There's. I see him Slytherin as the social butterfly. To... I'm, I'm ruling Slytherin here. Fair enough. Yeah, if you if you give off the slightest quality that you can tell someone to kiss your ass and mean it <laughs> and not be afraid of the repercussions, you get to be in Slytherin. Um, Sophia, I have as a Gryffindor. But, like, the truest, like, the, the Gryffindors that we didn't get to, to read about. Like, just actually, like, good, brave, smart, hardworking, genuine, that side of Gryffindor. Not the, like, I'm going to go jump off this the, the astronomy tower and see what happens. I had Ravenclaw because someone told me she was really good at puzzles on Battle of the Sexes 2. Um and but I don't have a I don't I don't have a strong opinion on that at all. So yeah, Allie. it sort of stinks because we didn't get to like spend enough time with her really to know. Logan, what do you got? I was gonna say ruling in your favor here. Yeah, we didn't get to learn a lot about this version. You know, 2020, 2021, Sophia. But um, I think I think I agree. It has like all the good the good stuff that like when you first start to read Harry Potter, you're like yeah. That's what I want to be. Um, okay, so I have, let's see, who do we have left? We have Derek Chavez, Kohada, Jasmine, and Ayana. And I'll go ahead and tell you, Ayana is the one that I don't have a fucking clue. So she's, we're, we'll hit her last. Um, Derek Chavez, Hufflepuff seems like a no brainer to me. Just all the good stuff, all the good stuff. And we'll, like, we'll hug you, we'll squeeze you. His love language is probably like, uh, touch, um, and yeah, Hufflepuff for me. I had him in Gryffindor. Uh, there's <laughs> a moment in Battle of Seasons 2 when, like, there's the episode where Zach and Frank are just assholes harassing Sam, pushing her around. Uh, Derek just puts Jasmine on her back, on his back, and just runs her up the mountain, even though he's, like, only 150 pounds. Like, he just, he just did it. He's just brave. He'll just, you know... Came on the show, competed with everything going on in his personal life. Just a brave human. I, I love Derek. I think he's awesome. Yeah, that's fair. I won't even be mad if Logan agrees with you. Oh, I get man. It. I, I was convinced by you at first, Allie, but I'm ruling with Alan. I mean, yeah, the uh, the bravery is really, truly the the signifier here. So we're going uh, full Gryffindor. So be- because I have blocked Battle of the Seasons out of my fucking brain, I lost. Great. A little bit, yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, I mean, you blocked right. it out, so you you are you are the winner. You are the winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Losers. Okay. Jasmine. Um, I have his Hufflepuff. I know you're gonna disagree with me, but in my mind, Jasmine has been trying to not be a Hufflepuff her whole life. But like, 
no one's really afraid of you, Jasmine. Like, you get excited, you get loud, you want to fight, but it's like, I will just forever reference the moment where she realizes she's going into an elimination with Laurel and not one single person has any faith that she can come out of it. It's just, I don't know. To me, she really doesn't want to be a Hufflepuff, but she is. I No, I completely agree with you. I had her as a Hufflepuff as well. Um, Because, like, she's loud. She's a big figure. But she's not a Gryffindor. She's afraid of a lot of stuff. She's afraid of water. She's afraid of heights. She's just, you know. And she's opted out in some cases. Uh, She's been a little bit more brave this season. But the loyalty of her, of where she'll fight for Derek, she'll fight for Johnny, and she'll stand up for people who she cares Mm -hmm. about. Um, that, that is very Hufflepuff to me. Um, but yeah, she doesn't fit into Slytherin or Ravenclaw either. So she, yeah, she's, she's a puff. <laughs> um, okay. So Ayana is the only one left that I don't know. Kohada is everything good about Gryffindor to me. He is the main character without even trying. Um, he is funny. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He handled the situation on All-Stars 2 with a lot of grace. And um, I think that everything good about Gryffindor is can be found in Kohada. I had this as a hat stall for me, but I, I, I went with Hufflepuff. Um, my thing with Kohada is that, like, I'm not saying he's not brave, but because everything comes so easy to Kahata, I don't think he's ever, like, afraid in a heights challenge or an eating challenge. <laughs> like, it's not even ever a thought in his head of whether he should be afraid, so he doesn't have to be brave. <laughs> yeah. It's just so effortless for him. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you. He is, he is, I mean, he just takes it on the mantle and he is a hero. He's, like, <clears throat> a Gryffindor in the way that, like, Neville Longbottom or like Dean Thomas or any of the like tertiary guys in Hufflepuff, like the way he's like moved to Montana and started a business. And it's just like, he's not Gryffindor in the way that he's like still wearing his Letterman jacket from high school. He's just like Gryffindor in the sense that like, he has a really pure, clear, true North. Yeah. Dean Thomas is an excellent comparison. I, I, I had more reverence for Neville as just like I, like his growth as a character from being like I don't know the wimp who's I don't know, I don't know. Dean Thomas is a great comparison I think for sure one thousand percent I agree with you. I mean Dean Thomas was the first person to date Ginny Weasley and Kohada yeah. has pulled some very smart very beautiful women so I actually like that comparison too. <laughs> Logan, I was gonna say. Kaheta might as well be Harry Potter himself because the man <laughs> is a Gryffindor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Last up is the Greek salad queen herself, Ayana. I also feel like she has a lot of qualities of all the houses. She seems like she can turn on the Slytherin thing when she needs to, but she also like when she got her, when her life shield got burned She was very offended, even though it had just happened to other people the week before. She, like, takes things very personally. And one of the things that I pride myself on being a Slytherin is, like, I don't really react to things because I don't want to give people the credit that they got to me. And I don't think Ayana is capable of that. So I'm just, like, lost on where to put her. 
she's super intelligent as well, like book smart too. It's like everything, like sometimes she's just so fearless. Sometimes she's just, yeah, she does really check every box, but also doesn't check certain boxes that are very critical to certain houses as well. And I put down Gryffindor. Wow. Uh, didn't see that. My coming. regret. I might. I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, it always comes back to like that first, like whenever she's in that elimination arena, she just, really has no fear. She, like, really yeah. sees herself as the hero of the story, like, no matter what. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to call it... I'm going to say it's Gryffindor, and it's because of the way that she helped Leah after that first elimination, but the way... But then she, you realize that that was more about her being the hero than her giving Leah that moment. Like, I had this, like, moment of realization because she went absolutely nuts on Sophia the very next week of, like, oh, that really nice, genuine-seeming thing that she did for Leah might not have been for Leah as much as it was for Ayana. And that's a very, sorry, Gryffindor thing, in my opinion, to, like, do the right thing and get get the credit for doing the right thing, but have some, like, underlying Some motives weird of intention. like this is going to make me look really good too hmm, fascinating yeah also okay. uh known known big eater ron weasley gryffindor <laughs> Greek salad you know with their fingers do you ever just stop eating <laughs> but also ron weasley didn't stand up for the house elves until he realized that it was that it would impress hermione so like he did the right thing but with other reasons. Like, he never fully believed in the house elf movement. But he knew it was the right thing to do to get him somewhere with Hermione. So, yeah. Ayana, Gryffindor, send it. Wow, that's a wrap. Yeah, that was really fun. I I think we agreed on a, a lot of the ones that I thought we were going to, like, the ones that seemed really obvious to me. Um, and I'm happy to be proven wrong and convinced otherwise with a very good, solid Harry Potter argument. So, Alan, thank you for bringing your expertise to the Rotten Banana Beer podcast. Banana beer? Yeah, we hate it. We hate it. No one laughed. Yeah, it's something. It, it's, it's We can workshop it. Thing. That's an idea. Yeah, thank you for coming through, Alan. We, we look forward to a, a million more blog articles in the future for... All Stars three question mark uh, season thirty eight question mark uh, I look forward It'll to happen. to reading you every week, man, and uh, I know so much of our audience does too. Ah, oh, thank you guys. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I don't know if I love it or I hate it that I feel like I know enough about these people to assign them a Hogwarts house, but for better or for worse, it was a very good time and uh, really exciting that the All-Stars 2 finale is tomorrow night or tomorrow um, on Paramount Plus. I say night because I don't get to watch it till I come home from work. So stop tweeting about it in the <laughs> middle of the day. You jerks. Um, <laughs> yeah such a blast watch all stars 2 tomorrow uh if you think we're wrong about any of these tweet logan about it and not me um logan thank you for being just kidding you can tweet me and tell me <laughs> i'm wrong i'm just like nine people might yell at you for it but um logan thank you for being the uh judge jury executioner 
on this. It was a wonderful Gladly, time. Gladly, anytime. I didn't realize I had that extent of powers. <laughs> you did a fabulous job. Guys, this was delightful. Um, I hope everybody loved the Return to Hogwarts special. I know that I did. I'm going to watch it 100 more times. Um, if we missed your favorite part, definitely tell us, and I will slide into your DMs, and we can gab about it all, all you want. So, Alan, Logan, I'm Allie. Thank you guys so much. Um, I guess I have to do the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Rotten Butterbeer podcast. We out. See ya. Remain strong.